Hey everyone, Benjamin Block here. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Block's Corner. Joining me to discuss everything Yankees is none other than Sweeney Murdy, who has been covering the Yankees beat for WFAN for the past 18 years. He and I caught up at the stadium Saturday, just hours before the Yankees clinched their spot in the American League wildcard with an extra innings win over the Baltimore Orioles. We unpacked what has been a season full of varying narratives and, of course, discussed some potential scenarios ahead. So, without any further delay, I give you my full, uninterrupted conversation with Sweeney. Let's just jump right into okay. it. It's been a crazy past few days, the end of this nine-game homestand. Um, what was, just describe that, the whole Boston series, the last few days, taking two out of three. Uh, you know, what surprised you about it? What, you know, what was expected? Well, it was a different feel for what I think everyone hoped it was going to be for this time of year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember looking back in July, they had just played a really good series here, I think June 29, 30, July 1st. They weren't going to meet again until after the All-Star break. And I'm looking at the two series in September and saying, this could be Armageddon here. This could be outstanding. You're trying to vie for the division versus the wild card. Well, you know, at the end of July, Yankees end up hitting a bunch of injuries, and they really, it's funny because July 1st, the Yankees won. Luis Severino pitched against the Red Sox, which was a really good game. Right. The Yankees beat the Red Sox. Over the next six weeks, the Yankees lost a lot of ground because Boston lost six games in six weeks. Yeah, I remember it was like a five or six. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was ridiculous, and so no matter what the Yankees were going to do, you you couldn't keep up with that pace. I know so many fans who were who keep talking about how bad the team is and how this and that. And it's like, you know, it's not that they're bad. It's the team they're chasing is historic. Yeah. You can't catch that. You can't expect to catch that. Right. Um, so I think that you know that took a lot of the air out of this series and definitely the next one but I think there was still something the Red Sox probably didn't have the same urgency but they did need a victory to clinch mm-hmm. which they got in the final game they put their regular lineup out there uh, the Yankees had some really good pitchers out there against their lineup and for the first two games they shut them down yeah and for really for most of the games the Yankees did what they needed to do offensively they were able to to uh, you know work where counts the way they want to, hit some home runs. It's really, it's a lot of walks and home runs, but that's Yankee offense. So I feel like they showed just enough that they can be competitive in a five-game series. And like that's what you're focusing on this time of year, not the four-game sweep in August or, anything, or, or the you know, 10-game division lead. Right, that's as much as you'd want it. Yeah, but that's, that's, but that's irrelevant now. Now it's about can this team beat that team. Right. And I think what you saw in the series is that they're, they're capable at this point, fully healthy, playing at a good enough level where they can compete with the Red Sox. Yeah, and I mean, that's a good point. You co- kind of compartmentalize this, this whole season and you focus on what you can do now. Like, yeah. we're in the Orioles series right now. We're finishing up this homestand. So the Orioles, they need to win to help out the A's. And the Yankees need to win, obviously. So everyone's got their own their own thing. Yeah, Baltimore, play, they'll play the professional brand. I mean, they're outmanned. They have been all year. But the yeah. professional thing is the games matter to other teams, so you have to do your best to win. Right. And I actually heard um, uh, Buck speaking 
it was either yesterday or today, it was, it was very recent, and he, he said something very interesting to me, and I don't know if this is uh, an effect of how his season is going, but he <laughs> said basically anything that's not going your way or injuries or errors or whatever, he said exactly, he said he looks at it as self-inflicting. And I thought that was interesting because, like you said, Boston's having a historic season. Yeah. Like 98 Yankees had 114. Mm-hmm. They just didn't incur injuries or any sort of injuries that would really impact them. And right. the Yankees here, they're all their 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 drawbacks, I guess, maybe lack of a better word, is not really self-inflicted so much. I mean, you can't plan for Judge being right. hit on the right. wrist. Um, that's a bit. That's a big point because they, you know, they went twenty six and twenty two while he was out of the lineup. That's that's oh, it's over five hundred. Yeah. You know, I mean, they didn't go. They didn't go four and forty. You know, which and, they could have exactly. You know, people were looking at. Um, you know, I, I've heard the expression "free fall" when talking about where the Yankees were going because really? of the standings. It's like, it's it's not even close to being true. They're playing at about five hundred clip, mm-hmm. a little over five hundred clip, and that's frustrating because it's win one lose one. You know, sure. by definition. So they're not, they weren't able to get a head of steam going and maybe close the gap a little bit to make these games more meaningful. But, you know, that became a long shot at some point, probably in early August mm-hmm. when, when Judge was out. And, well, after, the four game, after they got swept four games, it all became a long shot there. And, and Judge had been out about a week at that point. Even if he had come back sooner, I'm not sure what kind of imp- impact that could have had on making the division race any closer. Yeah. Um, but to your point about that and what they were able to accomplish, I still remember a few years ago as the biogenesis scandal was hitting and <laughs> teams were losing. The, the, the Texas Rangers were going to lose Nelson Cruz for the final two months of the season. Yeah. John Daniels, the general manager of the Rangers, was asked about trying to replace him. Um, and his quote, I have I've repeated many times because he said, there is no contingency plan for your best players. And it's a wonderful thought if you think about it. People are like, all right, well, who are you going to do? What are you going to get? Well, if your right. best player goes down, you're going to put another body in there, but you know, nobody is designed to duplicate the production of your best players. Right, it's going to be a by-committee sort of thing at very best. I mean, the Yankees were actually kind of lucky that Giancarlo Stanton was there and he had his best month in August. He had a terrific month of August. So in the first four weeks while Judge was down, he was carrying the load. Mm-hmm. He had a 950 OPS at nine home runs in the month of August. Um, started to tail off at the very end and all the way through September. At that point, he's taking a lot of heat, but Judge was still out. Right. So he carried a good portion of load while Judge was initially out for the first month. And then, you know whatever else caught up to him and he and he, he really fell off the cliff he was the guy in free fall for most of <laughs> september but um i just keep going back to that one idea that there was no contingency plan for your best players you can kind of get through and hope to hope to uh just kind of tread water until your best players return but you know if they don't then th- there's there's not a lot that you can control about that. You can't put somebody else in their place and expect the same level of production. Yeah, and and Judge in this press conference, I think it was the first game back, he spoke pretty eloquently about that, and he said, listen, it's harder for him 
to be there for the guys when he's not actually in the trenches. Yeah. And I thought that was... I've heard that a lot from, from players where, you know, they have certain... Le- like, guys who consider themselves leaders or other people consider leaders, it's hard to exert your influence if you're not on the field. Now, do you think that's... I thought that was kind of candid and, and pretty well said, but did you look at it as maybe uh, a detraction from from his personality? No, no. I, I, I didn't, I didn't I've see heard, it that I've heard way. it before because okay. I've heard it before from other athletes where, you know, they, like, if they're not, you know, going to battle, so to speak, it's hard for them to tell the other guys or lead the other guys or push the other guys in in getting to that place. In the so, same way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you also, I wanted to say about Stanton, I mean, you're right, his August was hot, but his slump totally overshadowed that. Yeah. And I think coupled with Judge being out, right. it was right. easy to just pile on and say... Um, the division la- race had now been lost, really. Right. What do we... the end of the month. Yeah, Oakland's, what do we bring you Oakland's in here coming for? up from behind. Right. It's a lot of things that were not in, in, <laughs> in the Yankees' control. Uh, True. I mean, Oakland getting hot and pushing... Oakland didn't come out of nowhere, so to speak, but they gained, I think they gained about nine or ten games in the space of 11 weeks. Yeah, where did they open up the eyes of, of the baseball world? At what point in the season were they really, I'm trying to well, remember. Well, they were, they were 500 after 72 games. Okay. You know, people get on the Yankees for being mediocre. <laughs> you know, 72 games is almost half the season. The A's were exactly 500. Yeah. And I get, I, it's all relative expectations. The Yankees are the Yankees and, you know, big payroll, last year's finish. I get all that. Sure. But, you know, the baseball season, is, it's rare for a team to just go wire to wire without a bump in the road and just keep putting up, you know, winning streaks all the time. Um, so when you play, last year's team won 91 games, but they were 500 for about 106 or 108 games. They they played at a 500 stretch. They started out hot, they finished hot, and ended up you know where they're basically 20 games over 500. That's pretty much how a lot of teams do it during the course of a season. Um, the A's, you know, are the team that now we was saying they're going to lose at some point, right? <laughs> Same thing with Tampa Bay because they were mediocre, 500 for a large portion of the season, half of it, or in Tampa Bay's case, more than half of it, and then. They just got rolling, yeah. And while the Yankees kind of find their 500 groove in that stretch, they're losing ground. So it's it it kind of heightens the urgency, I guess, from from the frustrated fans to say, "What's wrong? What are you doing?" Well, you're not the only part of the equation. Other people are part of the equation. Yeah, moving parts, right? I mean, Houston. I don't know their record exactly, but it's almost identical to the mm, Yankees' record. Yeah, and. They've clinched and they're in, and it's a totally different scenario. Look at the Cleveland Indians. You it's know, they're playing in a terrible division. Nobody else is going to finish over 500. I know. They clinched. I meant to look this up. Uh, I forgot. They clinched early, you know, several days ago, and it was their 83rd or 84th win or whatever it was, clinched the division. <laughs> the Red Sox clinched the division on their 104th win. Mm. That tells you what kind of season the Yankees have had. Seriously. It took them 104 wins to finally clinch this division. It's unreal. And I said months ago with friends and whoever would listen, you know, it's going to take 95, 100 wins for the Yankees to even guarantee any spot. And that's, to r- saying it then was different, but now you, you're seeing it materialize. Mm-hmm. And it, 
it's just, yeah, it can be infuriating when you look at the Indians or you look at a team with an identical record in a much different spot. Moving parts, you said it. I it's think the other thing that really plays out here that I've seen more this year than other years, but every loss seems to be this referendum on where the Yankees' weaknesses are and why it will bring them down. Well, is it more than, more than you can remember? I don't mean to I, th- I think so. Well, yes, because the Red Sox are where they are. I think it's because that's because you're in. Listen, enhances it all. A team that's going to win 98 games is yes. going to win the division most years. This year, it's not even close to being good enough to win the division. So, and because it's the Yankees who are that team, and it's the Red Sox who are the other team. Sure. I think that ratchets things up. The expectations because of last year. If this was last year, mm-hmm. I think it'd be a much different narrative. Because you'd just be looking at, hey, you're going to make the playoffs. You hadn't made the playoffs you know, for a couple of times. You're going right. to get there. You look at all this young talent you're building. The Yankees had that year last year. All the little engine that could Yankees blew up when they made game seven of the ALCS. Yes. So that part is gone. They're back to being the big bad Yankees. And then they went out and traded for Giancarlo Stanton. That took things to a different level. But I, I find it funny sometimes and frustrating other times just listening to the like every loss is okay well this guy stinks this guy's not going to help you get to the, this, this is a problem this is why you're not going to win a playoff series this is why you're not going to win the world series it's like you're going to lose a lot of games during the course of a baseball season everyone doesn't have to highlight the weaknesses of why you stink and it seems that way like you said last year it didn't seem that pressurized and you mentioned the word narrative. I was going to ask you what you thought about this year's narrative because if you think about it, I'm just going to gloss over it, right? You had Didi's April where he was mm-hmm. all world. And yeah. then when he started to cool off, it came, um, Glaber came up, right? Yeah. So someone automatically filled that spot. And then when right. Glaber started to show a little bit of rookie, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and Duhar comes up and lights the world on fire again. And then you know, Judge goes out, Stanton does his thing, Luke Voigt comes in. So there's there's been bigger holes throughout the season, but it always seemed like players were stepping up when someone else yeah. went down. And whenever that hole, when no one was stepping up, became a little bit extended, everyone sort of kind of seemed to implode. I mean, am I wrong? I don't. I, I don't think, know. Well, yeah. I mean, listen. You went through large. I forget the number, but um, the Yankees have played less than half the season with Stanton, Judge, and Sanchez all in the same lineup. You know, the the two DL stints for Sanchez and the uh, abysmal season he's had otherwise. You know. Oh yeah, and there was that time where DD joined them on the DL, and they were correct. all or CC two, I think. At that one was point. August. That you was know, and that's August right there. I mean, and that's when it sort of started to, There I is think. no contingency plan for your best players. They all were down at the same time. The Yankees had their starting shortstop, catcher, right fielder, uh, and a starting pitcher all in the DL. And their closer, right. Chapman, all in the DL at the exact same time. I mean, that's, that's hard to keep up with one of the you know, three greatest seasons we've seen in the last 40 years. Yeah. That's hard to, hard to keep up with when those things are happening. So... Um, yeah, I, I think that it's probably more. I don't even know if it's no it's, I don't want to, you know, speak out of school. I, I just feel like, you know, look, the Red Sox have been led by two MVP caliber players 
and a kind of a top-heavy offense. J.D. and Betts, right. And what you just mentioned is a Yankee team that's found different players along the way to get hot at different times and kind of keep the train moving as opposed to just barreling through the year. That's a good point. I didn't think about it from that perspective, right. I didn't hear it until just now. It's, you no, know, it, got me thinking. <laughs> no, but that's, that's interesting. And I was coming into today sort of wondering what the narrative, how the narrative was different, just Yankees-oriented from last year to this year. Um, you know, and you hear the, the calls for, if, would Girardi do this? And, and Yeah, which is, I, like, I hate I kind of dismissed, stuff. I sort of dismissed yeah. that as just over the edge frustration. Yeah, yeah. Um, because Boone's did. He's he's done a reasonable job, and so I don't think there's a lot of things different. You know, put it this way: a lot of it is based on bullpen uh, and the runs they give up. Yeah, and it's all results based. Right. You know, because you always you always tend to think, well, if you had done this, then this would have worked. Well, hindsight. Sure. Yeah, completely. Uh, and you know, it, it, there's a there's a lot of Again, just moving parts in in how you have to maneuver that. Sometimes you're going to make a good call that doesn't work because the player didn't execute or something else quirky happened. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you're going to make a bad move, and, and maybe you admit to that. But every time you give up a run out of the bullpen doesn't mean that the manager screwed up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, comes, it comes down to execution yeah. and, and, right, moving pieces. And, and a guy like... Britain has been, has he's been pretty good at lately. I think he, you know, he was. You got to remember, beyond just transitioning to here, was coming back from a pretty severe injury. Oh right. And just getting back into pitching, uh, post, post injury. So I think there's a lot of things that have kind of uh, gotten into Britain trying to get comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a real weapon here because. He can go multiple innings, and he kind of prefers to. He, he had, he's talked to me about how you know, a lot of guys with sinkers feel their sinker is more effective when they're tired. It, hmm. just, it just increases the, the ability to, uh, to get ground balls. And maybe helps with the disguise. I, yeah, I get. I mean, I've heard it going back. I remember Ramiro Mendoza used to say that. And, uh, I, I, what I'm, a great I'm assuming, sinker ball. Yeah, I'm was. assuming you know, going back decades after, before that, people said that. But and he was a guy who was a starter who went into the bullpen Correct. Too, so, yeah. I feel like Britain's a guy now who, because of that mentality, mm. can get you four to six outs instead of just three. Right. And in, in case like last year's wild card game where Severino blew up in the first inning, mm-hmm. a guy like Britain, that he would be tailor-made for that. Yeah. You don't hope for that as a Yankee right. fan, of course. But Yeah, you still, like Chad Green is probably still the guy that you probably could get sure. two-plus out of. But he hasn't been used that way this year, so I wonder how much he's conditioned. Like, he might only be conditioned for two innings. Yeah. And just talking about the personnel in the Yankees right now, so let's talk about Chapman since he just came back. Boone had said something to the effect that he wasn't so concerned. Obviously, he doesn't want to see that home run being given up. But he looked at it as a step in the right direction and just part of his comeback, and they're going to use him sparingly until he's comfortable. Yeah, it's just getting back out there, getting back out there, getting comfortable Not again. Not too concerned. I mean, if it keeps happening, yeah, because, you know, is he really over the knee injury? And, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be too concerned because it's the first one. If there are two more like this, mm-hmm. yeah, then I'm, I'd be really concerned because this is a guy that, you know, this is part of the depth of the bullpen, which has to be one of your strengths in the postseason. Yeah. Can you see 
Boone playing around with the order if his hand is forced to the point where... Even if Chapman is let's doesn't just perform say, well? Yeah, let's yeah. hypothetically. Oh, absolutely. Um, I could, yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, th- I think you have to wait to see how it plays out over the next 10 days to see how much work Chapman gets and what he looks like. Right. Uh, but, yeah, that's the... They have talked about the depth in the bullpen for so long. Yeah. It would be silly for them not to try to use it if they are even a little bit hesitant as to what they're seeing with Chapman. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Right, you got four against Tampa Bay and three against Boston, so you have a sample size coming up to figure out what your deal is. And you're probably, and I don't know, really it's just going to be about seeing how healthy he is because you probably can't dictate the situations when you've only got that many games. It's not like you're going to let him sit for five or six days waiting for a safe situation. You know, you're just going to get it now that, you know, you're to the point where you're just lining things up and those games aren't as important, perhaps. You're just going to get... You're not waiting for the right situation. You're just going to get him an inning here or there. Oh, yeah. You're not afforded that luxury, yeah. for sure. Um, no, at this point in the season, you pretty much know what you're going into. I mm-hmm. guess you can only hope that you're going to go in with some momentum and, and yeah, take it from and there. It doesn't always work. I mean, listen, I think ideally we all think that you just need a team to be firing on all cylinders, use that cliche, and, and just be hot at their, uh, as they're going in. But it doesn't always work because the... The playoffs are just so different. The mm-hmm. staggered schedule and the multiple layers, yeah. it just makes it really hard to figure out how to... It's a second. It's a different season altogether. I've said for many years now the that baseball has created the NCAA tournament. And look what happened in the NCAA tournament. Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky are number one seeds every year, but they don't win every year. Right. How often? Yeah, exactly. They Sometimes they get picked off, and that's what happens in baseball all the time because the way it's scheduled... It's it it just doesn't lend to the type of thing that builds um, hundred win teams in the regular season. You get you lose one game, it throws everything out of whack. The schedule is different. Trying to get guys, maybe you maybe you've waited three or four days to play your first series, yeah. and then you sweep that and you wait for three or four more days, or just regular you have more off days. You never play more than three days. You never play more than three days in a row. You never play three days in a row until you get to the seven-game series, which is you know the the second full series. So yeah, it's baseball players are you know like every any, any of us we're creatures of habit. And you like the routine. The routine is a lot different in the postseason, which makes it much harder to predict who's going to win. Yeah, and I was going to ask if you sort of subscribe to that theory. I I think I pretty sure I do. Where as there are the teams that are the best teams, like the Red Sox, and they've had the best year. Mm-hmm. But I do feel that there's something to be said with teams that go in on a hot streak or with some confidence or with some momentum. Yeah. Because, I mean, how often, to your point, the best team, the actual best team, often doesn't win the whole thing in right. whatever respective sport. The, only, like, the one that sticks out to me is 2006, where I thought the Yankees were a really good team heading into that postseason. Okay. Um, and they were, there was a, 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 a chance it was either going to be Minnesota or Detroit that they were going to face in the division series. And the talk in the weeks leading up to this was hope the Yankees don't face Minnesota. You don't want to see Johan Santana twice in a five-game series. Oh, I remember this now, yes. The Tigers ended up uh, being the Yankees' opponent in that series and it was like, oh, thank God. And the Tigers went limping in. They had a bad finish that year. It was like, oh, thank God it's the Tigers. Don't want to see the Twins. T- 
Tigers in a 1-1 setting through Kenny Rogers out there in Game 3, who, who crushed the Yankees in Game 3. They lost Game 4, and they're out three games to one. And all of a sudden like that, the team that you wanted to face is the team that knocked you out. It was I've always looked at that as the be careful of what you wish for in the matchup yeah. thing. Because and it was also to me that was not a that the Tigers team was not as good as the the Yankees overall over the course of six months, but they didn't need to be as good as them over six months. They just need to be better than them for five days, and they were. Yeah, perfect example. Yeah. Um, and then that team ended up losing to a Cardinals team that won 83 games. You know, the Cardinals won the World Series that year, and because the Tigers couldn't figure out how to field a ground ball back to the mound, <laughs> and that Cardinals team was not a very good regular season team. A lot of those Cardinals teams that won, that you know, that were uh, spearheaded by Wainwright, you know, the, mm. during those years, they weren't tremendously overpowering teams, but they got hot yeah. at the right time. So yeah. I, it, something to be said about those You need teams. the talent. You need the talent to get through the regular season to the point where you're in a position. Yeah. Um, and then once you get to that, there's, you know, Listen, in baseball, there's not a great deal of difference in a short series between an 85-win team and a 95-win team. No, not at all. You know, you see during the course of the year, how many times, you know, the Yankees lose some of these games to Baltimore or to Miami. You're like, how can they lose? Well, okay, add 20 more wins to those teams and then think of how much better they are. Right. Try to win three out of five, four out of seven. That's... It, it really becomes a much more difficult thing to predict. Right. And remember, there was like, uh, I think there was a six-game point where they were going from Detroit to yeah. the White Sox, yeah, right? Yeah. And everybody had that same false sense, oh, thank God, we now finally, we have a chance to, yeah. you know, sweep a series or take two out of three from both these, and then we'll move on. That and was then, probably the low point, I think. When you I think thought that of was a very low point for them. They, yeah, the, the, because... They lost two out of three from both, didn't they? They, it was a seven-game homestand. They went three and four, and then they went out west and went four and five on that West Coast trip, plus Minnesota. Uh, that was really because they had gone through this tough part of the schedule, right. and you were finally facing this easy part. You're like, you know, okay, they can make us, but this is the August part that we're talking about where exactly. they were not at their best, they weren't playing their best, they weren't their healthiest, and that caught up to them regardless of who they were playing. Yeah, that was a tough one. Tough tough stretch. Maybe the toughest of, mm-hmm. of late, for sure. Um, and let me switch to strategy, actually. So what do you think about the idea of putting in late-game defensive uh, for Sanchez and, and or Andujar? I've heard talk about mm-hmm. both. I, um, I don't know. Let's talk about the wild card first. Not, let's not... Yeah. too far ahead but in the wild card game if you're making that decision what do you what do you think is best yeah I think well I think they've tipped their hand because these games are all important this isn't playing off the string I think they are going to defense for Miguel Andujar as much as possible um, with Echeverria with Echeverria yeah possibly Neil Walker but I think if all things are equal Echeverria is going to be your, your best bet over there uh, or your your you know what, where they will go the most. Um, I, I think the problem is that defense is has consistently been the worst problem for the Yankees this year. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of what you might think of certain individual players or the offense when it has seemed stagnant at times, or the starting pitching, the most consistent problem all year has been that this isn't a great defensive team. 
and I think that's why you will see them consistently try, as far as they go in the playoffs, try to shore themselves up where they can. The catcher's the interesting one, I don't know, because you're only carrying two catchers. And They're not going to carry uh, I don't. They won't carry Gashioka in a postseason spot. Okay. No. Now, maybe in a wild card situation where you don't need as many pitchers, you can... Right. And that one's interesting to me because I just thought about this the other day. Mm-hmm. I thought if, you know, Stanton has hit a couple of home runs recently, and he's taken some pretty good at-bats, but you're getting to a point of season where you don't worry about hurting feelings. The Yankees sat Jacoby Ellsbury down in the wild card game a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you have Judge back. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's your choice at DH? Is it Stanton or could it be Sanchez with Romine catching? Uh, and one which means I think Sanchez is going to play, right? But if Stanton is still really struggling. Mm-hmm. Could you see a particular matchup where you say, maybe I'm better off having Sanchez take the DH at bats, and if I need to, I could, in a big spot, maybe Stanton comes in to hit for Romine, but that, you know, uh, that is something that I think maybe is a little far outside the box, but, no, but they it's have not to be, unrealistic to think that. And they have to be thinking about all these scenarios yeah. with seven, eight games left, and... Yeah. And also, you know, the situation with Gardner and McCutcheon. And the I think they've kept their hand there, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, Gardner's not playing. He's just not. He's played once in the he last He got in week. the other night, and maybe that's just because they don't want him to be entirely cold if they do need him. I well, don't the know. reasoning they gave, too, was they yeah, say they he's say? playing a lot. They said that he's going to play a lot in this last week because they need to give Judge a day off. They need to give Hicks a day off. They, need, they didn't say because he's... You know, one of our starting players. They said because they need to give these other guys. They've they've tipped their hand into yeah. uh, you know really where the season has gone for Gardner, uh, and it has been his you know uh, his one of his worst seasons maybe since very early in his career. Mm-hmm. And the emergence of McCutcheon and the the same patience he displays the plate as Gardner does, but with better results. You're going to take that right now. Right, and the West Coast totally ignited McCutcheon with the home runs. Yeah, and, um, all the walks. You know, you see him taking, being very patient. He's. Uh, they he, have seemed to have gotten back to that approach of taking more walks, seeing more pitches, and I don't... I think they've always been into that. It's Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I think now that they're whole again, I think you see that because you see the pitchers working more carefully to a full lineup. Yeah. And it's nice, and that's another nice thing about Judge is that he has one of the one of the most disciplined batters. I, yeah. you know, speaking. The other thing about that Red Sox series, you know, as much as the Yankees had very recently struggled to put runs on the board consistently, yeah. they did not stray at all. They're not forcing the issue and straying from their approach. They, if you look at the rally in the Tuesday game. When Neil Walker hit his three-run homer, it was a couple of walks that led to that, and right. Walker worked a full count before uh, hitting the game-winning home run. And then you look in the game that they won with Eduardo Rodriguez, the guy walked seven guys early on, and they pounced on him for home runs. Um, so that's uh, was that the game they won? No, um, I'm mixing. I might be mixing some of these up, uh, but they have consistently this week shown you that what their offense is is getting ahead in the count. Um, taking a walk and looking for the mistakes that will lead to big extra base hits. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely encouraging that they haven't sort of strayed from their whole approach, no mm-hmm. matter how bad the struggles have been. Yeah. Um, so what do you 
So what do you foresee, right? 19 years on the beat? I mean... 18, yeah. Mm -hmm. 18, sorry. So, don't want to age. No, no, it's all right. (laughs) So, you're here every day with this team. You've seen the ups and downs. You've seen the variety of narratives. What do you, what do you see? How do you see this season playing out? Great question. I mean, every year, you know, I, I always hate, I, I like the way you asked it because I hate prediction. Like, so I say, give me your prediction. Like, I don't like predictions. Prediction is just a guess. I was hoping you saw yeah. it the way I yeah. phrased it. Though. Yeah. But I, I understand <laughs> what you're asking me, but because you asked it that way, I guess I'll answer it. Um, <laughs> I don't, yeah, yeah predict, to me, predictions are just guesses. I know. Um, I think they're good enough to host and win the wild card game. And as we talked about earlier, I think they're good enough to compete with the Red Sox. Um, beyond that, I don't know what else happens. Yeah, no, and that's fair. And the only way I phrase it that way is because it's an educated. Yeah, oh guess, yeah, yeah. You're, you well, see your every day. So. I think, I think, I think they're good enough to keep winning games here and hold off to keep the home field, mm-hmm. and that's going to play huge. You know, they're they're going to they have a chance to finish with a 667 home winning percentage. You know, um, I think that. What you've seen, I, I kind of like him this last 10 days, the last 10 days of spring training, when all you want is for everybody to be healthy right. and kind of get into that mode where you're like, okay, you feel confident going in that this is going to turn out good. Well, you've gotten all your key players back now, uh, and that's what you're waiting for. You're waiting for their timing back. You're waiting for them to show that they're ready when the yeah. bell rings. And, um, I think that's what you're starting to see. And if that continues through the next week, I think this is a, a very dangerous team. I think they have a couple of really good starters who have shown you how well they can pitch against the Red Sox. And the other thing that the Yankees have consistently done over the years is advance scout to the point where they can they can find just the little nuances that will right. either either take Cleveland to five games or the Astros to seven games yeah. and get you to the point where you can win this year. That's all you want. I mean, listen, nobody can sit there and say, you know that they're going to blow these guys away or sweep through this. Or sweep no, that. that's if ridiculous. If you think you can beat them, right. that's all you really want, tell me a team in the American League that the Yankees now fully healthy have no chance of beating. I don't find one. Right, exactly. They put themselves in a position where they're in the conversation to beat any team five games, seven games. Yes. And was it Dan Geese? Geis? I'm not sure Geis. if I'm saying Geis. Yeah. I mean, what a tremendous job with Luke Voigt. No one can stop. I mean, he's Shane Spencer 2018. Yeah. Remember him? I forget the year exactly. That 1998 was. was Spencer. I was, right. I was looking at, um, I, I was having this conversation with Susan Waldman the other night on the air. We were talking about Voigt. And just kind of like basically have the Yankees find him. I said, Knowing a little bit of how the Yankees operate, I said, I will bet you a dollar that his fly ball profile to right and right center is very favorable because that's the kind of hitter that plays in this ballpark, and the, and the Yankees will always look for players who fit a profile like that. A lot of times it's from the left side, but when you find that profile from the right side, oh, yeah. it's, it can play very well as, uh, as we've seen. Uh, I, I would bet you that that is the one thing that jumped out the most in their evaluation of him is that his his fly ball spray chart tells you that he's going to hit balls out of Yankee Stadium to right and right center. Oh yeah, and you can bet that Geis was definitely yeah. taking that into account. Yeah. I mean, and you've seen it. He's a good player, but he's a good player 
plus in Yankee right. Stadium. Right? Plus, he's also you know he's a good player as the seventh hitter or the eighth hitter in the Yankees lineup. You know, he doesn't have to be the third or the fourth hitter, and that's a very big distinction when you're talking sure. about this lineup. Every I heard John Flaherty told me this the other week when he was on a show of mine. He said, doesn't matter who you are, any pitcher and catcher combination is going to feel like you're, you're taking a break at the bottom of the order. You feel like you're getting a break at the bottom mm. of the order. And you know, you're, you just want to maybe exhale a little bit because the top of the order is coming back around again really soon. Yeah. When you've got a lengthier lineup, and you've got guys like Voight is right now, or Glaber Torres. We've seen Gary Sanchez bat seventh. These are the types of guys that will give opposing teams nightmares because they're not going to feel like there's a break in the lineup. Right, and remember in uh, May and June, you had seven, eight, nine. You had, what was it, Glaber, Andujar, and yeah. Neil Walker, or and then Gardner at back at top. And so. what, yeah, there's a reason that when you say, like, why are these guys hitting at the bottom of the order? Because... It makes situation. you complete. Yeah. It, it was just a situation, but it also made it the best bottom third in baseball at the time. You probably. look a lot of times, you'll see a lot of those guys having real good averages with runners in scoring position because yeah. those are the guys the pitchers think they can get out. Because you're focusing if I can't if I can't it's a good point. I can't start walking these guys because the top of the order is coming back around again. Right. I need to I need to throw this guy a pitch, make him hit it and, and get out of the inning. And that's I, Francisco Cervelli is the one that sticks out to me. He had a very high average run as a scoring position. He was always batting ninth, and people were saying, yeah. "Wow, look at this guy! He's hitting ninth. He's hitting 700 with runners in scoring position." Because that's the guy the pitchers want to get out. They don't want to turn it back over to the top. They're gonna throw him a fastball and say, "Please hit it at somebody." Of course, yeah. And and on this team, right? You have Judge staring at you in the two hole, or yeah. Stanton, or however the lineup was. At the exactly time. right. So, and that, yeah, you better believe that plays in their minds. <laughs> so, um, so who's, so who do you start in the wild card game? I mean, that's probably the only thing we haven't touched on. Yeah, that's, that's the, I've, uh, you know, I've I've felt like for a good month now that it would be Tanaka. Um, so how poor of that last start? I don't or, want it to. I hate being that reactionary, but it, it, you can't help it now. But these last two starts for, for all of these guys is going to dictate yeah. going forward. I, and I think the people who end up making this decision are not basing it off of the last five minutes the way we tend to. Um, I think, Probably smart. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think they look... <laughs> yes, exactly. They look at it... They're going to take a matchup view of it, not necessarily what's happened, but what they think might happen mm -hmm. based off of what this guy throws and what the other team's lineup looks like. So I still think Tanaka's a possibility. I think if Severino um, puts up another strong one he, and shows you that he's over the very long rut that he was in, yeah, then I think it's in your best interest to start him in that wild card game. I think he just gives you the best chance to to then just roll out what you want to roll out. I think Tanaka can do that too. Um, I've heard the argument about Jay Happ. I, I mean, get it. When he was 6-0, and it was hard to ignore I it. get it. And, st and it's, still, it's still a wonderful argument to make. He pitched very well against the A's a couple weeks ago. True. But I feel like there are still really good options to get me to the fifth inning, like Severino or Tanaka, mm -hmm. which because in a wild card game, you're just going to start rolling those guys out of the bullpen. Oh, yeah. Jay Happ's the guy I want pitching twice against the Red Sox. 
that's that's the point that that I keep coming back to. Yeah. I would love to throw J.A. Happ out in the wild card game the way he's been pitching, but if you could avoid doing that, then you can get him twice in the Red Sox. And you've got the options. Round. Yeah. So you've got not many and wild the depth card you teams. you talked about. Yeah. If they show up and perform Correct. and execute as they should. Not many wild card teams have a have a choice to who they're going to start in that game. You know, it, it, you're talking about teams that probably win between 85 and 92 games, and they have one really good starter they feel about. Others who've had good years, obviously, to get to that point. But you're like, okay, if I'm, if I'm rolling the dice in one game, who am I starting? That answer is easy for most teams. The Yankees have a good problem, and that that's not an easy answer right now. And that circles back to what you were saying, like when we were talking about how Houston has an identical record but a totally different situation, and mm-hmm. Cleveland, 83 wins, clinching. Yeah. That's why you can't look at the total wins and losses because they may not have the luxury of the depth to play around with options, whereas the Yankees, same yeah. record or better record, but worse situation going mm-hmm. in. But look, it's, I actually it's very think, interesting. I think Cleveland is a... Is a I, I don't think they're the typical 80-something win team because they've been who they've been the last few years. You know, they scuffle a little bit, and the Yankees blew them out early in the year in three games here because they entered the series in a really bad bullpen situation, got beat up the first game, and just never recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a really good team over there. They've got dangerous hitters. Um, I, I they, they came up a little short last year after being in Game 7 of the World Series the year before. They've got a very experienced manager and coaching staff, some really good players, and some top pitchers. I mean... And they've redevamped their bullpen a little bit. Andrew Miller's healthy. And Donaldson, whatever. Yeah, whatever whatever he can add. I don't, you know, they're the team that even though they're going to enter with the lowest win total of any team in the league um, into into the postseason, they might be the most dangerous. Very good point. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, we'll have to wait and see like the rest of the world. But Mm -hmm. I appreciate all the insight. You do a great job following the team, so thank you. And, uh... We'll wait and see, I guess. That's that's all. That's all. That's my job description is wait and see. I, I think <laughs> that's probably I should uh, I should put that on like a business card or something. Yes. Wait and see. Sweeney Murdy, wait and see. Wait and see. Thank all you, right, Ben. Thanks. thanks for having me. My thanks to Sweeney Murdy for joining me. As always, you can catch his day-to-day Yankees coverage on WFAN, which will undoubtedly be can't-miss programming as the regular season winds down and the postseason gets underway. If you enjoyed this episode or others that I've done, please take a minute to subscribe and review my podcast. Until next time, this has been Benjamin Block. Thanks for listening.